0: Hello, friends, and welcome to part two of my three-part Omnipod 5 Ask the Experts series. Far too often, community-sourced answers to Omnipod 5 questions contain misinformation. So today, we're going to help to set the record straight by speaking with an expert who works at Omnipod. And Lindsay doesn't just work there. She also has type 1 diabetes and wears the Omnipod 5. Today, Lindsay and I are going to go over the questions that she sees most frequently as the senior manager of Omnipod's clinical product support team. Inslet has paid the host of this podcast, Scott Benner, a fee to create this content. This podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. This information and other content provided in this podcast or in any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something that you have heard in this podcast or read in any linked materials. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast and website have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, health practice, or other institution. Please speak with your healthcare team if you or any other person has a medical concern and before making any changes to your diabetes management, And consult the Omnipod 5 Automated Insulin Delivery System User Guide for more information. Nothing you hear on the Juicebox Podcast or read on juiceboxpodcast.com is intended as medical advice. You should always consult a physician before making changes to your healthcare plan.
1: Hey, everyone. I'm Lindsay Friedman. And my role here at Insulet is I am the senior manager of our clinical product support team. Some of you may have even chatted with some of them on the phone. So what that means is they are available on our phones when you call in and have questions about things like adhesive or how do I get the best out of Omnipod 5. They are all licensed clinicians and diabetes educators. Okay.
0: Let me make sure I understand. So you manage a group of people who I have access to through the phone.
1: That is correct. Okay. You're absolutely right. Because
0: I'm a, I'm a, a customer. Well, I guess Arden is, she's an adult, but I mean, let's be honest. I pay for it. So, um I'm I'm a customer. Uh, so when I call, I'm getting people who have what kind of a background? Tell me again.
1: The team is comprised of clinicians, so they're licensed nurses and registered dietitians, and they're also certified diabetes educators.
0: Can I ask a question that has nothing to do with anything cuz I'm interested? Where sure. do, where do they sit and do that job? Like am I talking to them from their living room or are they in a matrix farm or where are they exactly?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So this team in particular, they all work remotely. So whether that's from home or in an office space, uh, yeah, they're all over the country actually. So you could dial in and get somebody from Iowa or Texas.
0: Does that make it easier for you just to I was gonna say stock? I don't know if that's the right word, but fill your team with like really qualified people because it's they're not just have to live in a certain place, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think you could say that. Uh last time I uh, was recruiting for this role, I had hundreds of applicants. So mm-hmm. definitely makes it, you know, yeah, your easier, I think. Yeah, that they don't have to drive to an office necessarily.
0: Very nice. Okay. And you have type one as well. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. So actually this month, uh, Diabetes Awareness Month, I will hit 32 years with type 1 diabetes. So yeah, I was diagnosed when I was nine um, and I'm currently an Omnipod 5 user, though I historically was always a tubed insulin pump user prior to this. So um, lots of experience with insulin pumps.
0: How long have you been with the Omnipod working for them?
1: So about two and a half years.
0: Two and a half years. Were you using a different pump while you were working at Omnipod?
1: So when I first came on board, yes, I was wearing a tubed pump when I first uh, started with Omnipod. It's funny. I actually was somebody who said, no, I'll never wear a pod. And then I put it on and I literally said, I will never turn back. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, definitely a lot of um, great things and convenience. But yeah, I was wearing a tubed insulin pump when I started here. That's I was waiting for Omnipod 5.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. So Omnipod 5, your first tubeless insulin pump you've ever worn. Correct. In how many years did you say you have diabetes? 32 years? Yeah. Wow. That's a long time. (laughs) Can I (laughs) ask a a couple of questions before we jump into why we're here? Sure. Any other autoimmune in your family?
1: So personally, I have celiac disease as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Aside from that in my family, no, I'm kind of like the lone duck aside from the fact that I do have a cousin with type one diabetes uh, no one else in my immediate family has any autoimmune diseases or yeah, diabetes, celiac, just me.
0: Wow. Okay. So do you have brothers and sisters?
1: I have a younger brother.
0: Yeah. Nothing there, huh? That's cool. That's really something. Nope. <laughs> Call him lucky, I guess. I was the uh. special.
1: Yeah. I was the special one. <laughs>
0: I always say, did it translate to any other random things happening to you? Have you won the lottery or anything like that or no?
1: No, yeah. not that lucky, yeah. but I'll take it.
0: <laughs> Usually doesn't work that way. OK, right. so I right, So your job is you you oversee that team. So do you actually listen into calls? Like what does your job entail? I guess.
1: We work very closely with each member on the team. Um, the team has actually grown quite a bit since Omnipod Five launched, um, and we're really, yeah, looking to do exactly that. You know, understand what the needs are of the people calling us. You know, what kinds of training do we want to make sure we provide our team members to be able to answer people's questions, obviously as as best as we can. And um, you know, we do listen to calls. We listen to calls to hear about. Uh, exactly that. What are people calling in asking us about? What are they, you know, seeing as common challenges they're facing? Mm -hmm. Um, And then what as an organization, you know, do we do to help support that? And I'll say there's a lot of things actually I feel like we've done in response to what we're hearing our uh, customers call us about.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to talk to you more about that as we go along because that's what I was wondering if if the calls end up informing how you do your job. So today we're going to go through some of the more common I guess, phone calls and um, and try to make sense of them. It, it just it behooves us to to um, to be honest and say a lot of people have the same questions over and over again. Oftentimes, people don't get the right answers. They end up coming up with the thing they think might be the answer. And then, of course, they get online and start telling other people about it before you know it. You've spread, you know, a reasonable amount of misinformation around and everybody thinks that they know what's happening when they often don't. So uh, this is a great opportunity. I, I really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Oh, please. All right, so we're going to go into the first question. There are posts I see on social media sometimes where people say that the pods are just deactivating unexpectedly. Um, sometimes people come in and they answer and they say there's something to do with a setting called pod shut off, but I don't know what that is.
1: Scott, that's a really great question. And this does come up. Um, and you know, I'll say, I think this is a setting that, people are less familiar with in general. Um, I'll start with, you know, what is the setting? I think just to give a brief overview, you know, the setting is actually intended to be, I think, of what we consider like a safety feature. I, I kind of try to think of it in like a car, for example. Like these days you have all these, you know, features that actually might sort of alert you at some point. Actually, I was driving the other day and that, do you need to take a break? (laughs) You know, um, feature popped up with something. It's like a coffee break. You get a little coffee cup on the dashboard. But, you know, essentially it's after, you know, a period of time. Uh, If you have not, or the user has not interacted with the controller in any way, so waking it up, button pushing, and, you know, the feature is, the setting is set to a certain period of time if that time passes. So let's just say, for example, that setting is set to eight hours. If eight hours has passed and you have not interacted with the controller at all, then an alarm will go off to say basically, is everything okay? You know, make sure you react to the alarm so we know you're okay. If not... We're going to deactivate your pod, assuming maybe something has happened. So it's really a safety feature in that sense. Um, you do not have to use it, um, mm. but sometimes these settings get turned on accidentally because maybe you don't know what it is and you think, oh, yeah, I, I want that feature pod shut off, <laughs> whatever that means. Um, so, yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't read the book, but that sounds enticing. I'm going to yeah, do that. Right. Lindsay, how long like what are my different options? You said it defaults at four hours, but what are my other options on the, that setting?
1: so you can set it in 1 hour increments up to 24 hours. So yeah, you have a lot of options. Um yeah, and if I think about really why people might utilize this feature, you know, I have also trained on many insulin pumps including Omnipod 5 and um you know, it's one of those things that when you're setting up a an insulin pump and you're thinking about, well, why might somebody use this? If you've got a college student or somebody who lives by themselves, um, you know somebody who's again older and has nobody who's living with them, um, a concerned parent, a kid who just went off and is living by themselves you know those are some of the the reasons people might utilize this. So again as that safety feature, if you're you know sleeping and you know you have a low glucose uh, or not responding to the controller or interacting with it, Um, you know, this would in fact then shut off if you didn't respond to the initial alert. So it does kind of, it doesn't, I want to say it doesn't shut off immediately. Let's say again, for example, you have it set to eight hours. Mm -hmm. It will kind of alarm to say, hey, here's this alarm. It expects that you're going to respond to it. And then if you haven't, it will then go ahead and deactivate the control, deactivate the pod.
0: Yeah. Listen, I'm just going to say that I think if you're not interacting with your diabetes in uh, every four or eight hours, you maybe should be anyway. So uh, not a bad idea. I think it's
1: mostly it's primarily utilized um, for when people are sleeping, I think is what we've seen. Mm -hmm. But but back to when people call
0: and ask you about or when I see online, it basically is that that setting gets set up. They don't realize what it is. And then it alarms. They don't interact the pod shuts off and they're like, I don't understand And My pod just shut off, but that's pretty Mm -hmm. much what that all is.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so there, you know, there is a way um, that you can actually check to see if this is turned on. If you go into the settings menu in the controller and you go under reminders, you'd actually see pod shut off and it is a toggle on and off. So, you know, we have had people on these calls go in and say, oh, I didn't realize, that, you know, I maybe turned that on when I was setting up my controller. And so now I'm going to go ahead and turn that off. Got off. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Well, thank you. That was excellent. Very huh. clear. Look at you, yeah. Lindsay. You're doing, have you ever done something <laughs> like this before?
1: I have not actually not, not, you know, set up like this. No,
0: you, is <laughs> I've it talked weird? to a lot of
1: people, but not like this. Is it
0: weird or is it off-putting? Like,
1: no, this it's,
0: it's good. Good. Oh, well, I'm glad.
1: Oh, and I will always say, Scott, because we do have to say this. We say this on the phone all the time. So anybody who calls us will hear this. When we're on the phones, I think it's important for people to know we can't direct people to actually make setting adjustments so we can in- inform you that this is what the setting does and yeah. this is what it means. Um, and then we always have to direct people to work with their healthcare providers sure. if they wanna, in fact, change that.
0: So wrapped around this idea, I we I spoke earlier about sometimes people see things and they think, oh, that's why it happened, but it it doesn't end up being true. In this specific example, I've seen people say, oh, my gosh, the controller was away from the pod for too long. That's why it shut off. But that has nothing to do with it.
1: No, 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 actually, you know, we do allow for distance between. Of course, you need your controller near you in case, you know, there is an alarm that goes off to hear it. Or, of course, you want to engage with it. Um, But this would not be if you were just, you know, you left your controller in the other room and were away for for too long. It's not just going to deactivate your pod for you. Excellent. Okay. All right. next question then.
0: Uh, Let's see. Whenever there is a communication error that can't be resolved by retrying, the only option is to deactivate the pod. Why does this happen? And is that really the only solution?
1: Well, Scott, this is probably one of my favorite topics. I'm just kidding. It's not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But communication errors. Yeah. So um, I think important to note about communication, of course, the system operates uh, via Bluetooth. So, you know, when a communication error occurs, again, I think the way we try to describe this really too is from a safety perspective. We obviously want to make sure controller and pod are communicating Mm -hmm. and they're communicating well. So if a communication error occurs, often it means for some reason there was Um, an inability for the pod and controller to communicate. Uh, That can be for a number of different reasons. Again, one thing we think of is Bluetooth technology. There could be interference. Um, Sometimes it's environmental interference. Sometimes it's other Bluetooth interference that could occur. And so, you know, we really try to navigate these calls by helping people think about the different steps they can take uh, aside from just, we really actually call it, it's oftentimes discarding the pod. It could be deactivate, but I think discard is an important word to keep in mind here too, because I think what people often see on the screen is try again or discard the pod um, in these communication errors. And so to answer your question, does is this the only solution uh, to discard or deactivate the pod? Uh, the answer is no. And actually I will say even personally, that's always my last option okay. um, is to hit discard or deactivate. So what people can do is, again, if you think about There could be some interference. Um, One option is to just sort of get up and move where you are, even a few feet away. Maybe there's something right in your surrounding vicinity. Maybe you're, you know, sitting up against a chair that has something that's interfering, like a metal chair or something like that. Moving your location and then hitting try again often does work. If that doesn't work, there's a few other things that you can consider doing. Okay. One of them, would be to... um, If you have any pods that you've recently attempted to activate or any pods that you've recently discarded, um, removing those pods from the area are important too. And it's funny, I actually had this conversation with our engineering department because I really wanted to make sure. and, And when you say, how do we... How do we equip our teams? This is one of the things that we do is work with our internal teams to really understand what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So we can best equip our customers with the right information. So I had a conversation with our engineering department to really try to understand, you know, what is happening here. And I'm I'm not a Bluetooth expert, so I won't pretend to be one. Right. And so, you know, working with them, um, you know, they really shared that when there are other Bluetooth devices in the area, you know, the system is scanning for the pod to connect with it. And that's Mm -hmm. again, Bluetooth technology. So things like even on the smartphone, if you're using our OmniPod 5 app on the smartphone, toggling the Bluetooth on and off or temporarily disabling other Bluetooth connections just to make sure the pod is the only thing that the app is looking for. Um, In the controller, you can't toggle that. That's why getting away from other connection bluetooth connections or again moving locations Mm -hmm. is something that can be really helpful
0: i found that uh, oftentimes we connect to things through bluetooth over months and years that we Mm -hmm. don't interact with anymore and just sometimes going into your bluetooth settings and going i have not been in that car in five years uh, delete that one you you know like that kind of stuff makes it actually run a little better
1: yeah. Well, it's funny you say that. I put my headphones on today to do this. And the first thing my headphones connected to was my iPad mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when I wanted it to connect to my computer. So yeah. it's like it remembers stuff. It's pinging so.
0: all around. And, you know, there's, I mean, as a great example, um, moving forward, there are going to be some CGMs and sensors that you, that you are discarding every couple of days and it leaves its Bluetooth signature behind in your phone. So going in and deleting them as an example is a great way to kind of keep that whole thing clean. Um, yeah. so, so when, when we do get to the, like, I guess what, what's the situation where this might happen? Like, when would I see this pop mm-hmm. up? I guess like if I haven't used the controller in a while and i go to bolus or something like that, and then I'm seeing a communication error, is that like mm-hmm. that kind of an idea?
1: We see communication errors occur at times, uh, when attempting to give a bolus and that's where you might see it more like unable to communicate is the language. Um, and in that case you will get that try again, um, option. And again, that's where, You know, one thing to do is move location, hit try again. Um, You know, if you've tried a couple of those steps and, and our customer service reps or our product support teams will help to walk people through this. The other option they could do is actually what we call power cycle. So really just turn off the controller. And then that sort of reestablishes connection when it turns back on and allows people to go ahead and, and bolus. Uh, you might also see communication errors uh, when attempting to activate a new pod, mm-hmm. and again, that's really related to what you were just talking about—these previously discarded pods. And so, you know, what happens when a pod is discarded is the the controller. Sort of, I think about it like a relationship just kind of abandons the relationship and the pod doesn't know. So the PDM or the controller is just saying, you know, I'm going to abandon you and the pod has no idea. And so, you know, it could be attempting to um, continue to communicate versus, you know, when we see like a deactivating a pod, Uh like you do every time you change a pod, both sides of the relationship decide they're going to split. So it's an equal, it's a decision made on both sides where it's a clean split at that point. So those previously discarded pods do have to be removed from the area as well. So we'll often say... Make sure you move them, you know, at least 20 feet away from where you are mm-hmm. um, to make sure that that controller is really only attempting to connect to the pod in front of you.
0: I'm laughing for two different reasons. One, I have <laughs> once opened my back door and flung an old pod into the backyard <laughs> because I was like, I think this is too close and it's what's interfering with us setting up this next one. Um, and because you set up a scenario where the pod was broken up with, but just won't stop calling.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <Yes. laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, so I just need to be very firm with it and let it know I'm sorry, but we're done now. <laughs> and nice. and to do that would be to create more distance from it, just in case it's still exactly. trying to connect. Yeah. yeah, I don't know the technical side of it too, but it always feels like to me, like it just has trouble letting go at the end. Like and 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 it's not a I I would have to say it's not a common occurrence. I'm not like winging pods into the yard constantly, but I mean it's happened a handful of times. So I get that. All right, great. Anything else on that one? Or or I have that one covered pretty well with you. I think we're good, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I think we've covered it. And I'll say, like, I'll just put a plug in that we, because, you know, we, again, are are really trying to be mindful of, of what our customers are calling us about mm-hmm. and giving them some tools like this, which is great to be able to listen to or reference. We've actually got all these steps that they can find on our omnipod.com website. So we've tried to put a lot of this stuff stuff up on our website to make available to people to find answers versus necessarily having to call us every single time yeah. um, to ask these questions over and over again.
0: Right, okay, so complete the power cycle, toggle the Bluetooth on and off, Make sure there are no other pods that have been previously discarded or within like 20 feet of you. Yep. Pretty much. We got it. All right, cool.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: Moving on. Insulate randomly sent me a new controller. I remember when this happened. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell a story before we get into this question. So I I happen to, you know, I have a relationship with you guys and so that people might not believe or understand, but like I text with people sometimes like, you know, and, um, I know sometimes when you guys are doing things and I know the pain of trying to communicate to the public a thing because you're like, we said this, but not everyone sees it. So you guys went to all this trouble to send out emails and let people know we're going to be replacing the controllers. Here it is. But then, you know, most people didn't get the email or didn't read it or whatever. And 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 this question was all over the Internet. So, OK, insulate randomly sent me a new controller. Wasn't random, but I know it might have felt that way when it showed up in the mail and um, do I really have to use it? So tell us what happened there and, and what they need to be doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you what happened there. Um, before I do that too, I, it's funny you say that because, you know, one of the things, obviously, we'd love to review is, of course, we sent you information about all of this. Um, but, you know, easily, I'm sure people get hundreds of emails a day and all of that. It's hard to track, but, um, yeah, basically. So we did send these new controllers out, um, as part of what we call a medical device correction. If somebody received one of these new controllers, it means their previous controller was part of this medical device correction and these new controllers, um, contain a fix. Uh, that was identified um, as part of this, and so we do recommend that people um, start to use their new controllers. Um, and you know, there's a couple of things I'll point out with that as well, because it's important to know a few things or remember a few things when you're starting a new controller. But long story short, uh, we do encourage people strongly to utilize those new controllers if they receive them. You know, the other piece we'll we'll mention as well is not only the new controller, but also reminding people to use their original charging cables. Um, Again, when we think about losing emails or, um, you know... uh, papers that came in the mail, I think sometimes just as easily charging cables. People probably have five, 10 of them somewhere, um, but we really do strongly encourage people to utilize their original charging cables um, You know, with this as well, as well as the adapter um, is really important as a part of the notification that came out with this medical device correction. I see.
0: So use the plug and the cable that we sent you, please. And if we <laughs> sent you a new controller, go ahead and, and start using that one. But you know, people are like, I don't want to, it's going to reset the algorithm. And right. Yeah. But in the other episodes in this series, and it, it it's kind of covered pretty completely about what happens when you start over. It's not, I don't think it's the, um, well, I don't think I know it's not the long-term process that they imagine, um, mm-hmm. especially maybe now that they've got it all set up and it's running really well, moving good settings into a new controller gets you right back to where you're going again. And
1: yeah. 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 I'll say Scott I did this personally and and to be honest I had the same thoughts, you know, I had been on the controller for months and I was doing great and the thought of oh I have to start all over again. But, you know, having reviewed my um, you know, pump settings and my manual basal rates and carb ratios and and everything and ensuring that I'm starting that new controller with updated settings. Uh, It was a really smooth transition for me, actually smoother than when I first started Omnipod 5, to be honest. So um, I really find that, you know, it works well if people make sure that they've reviewed their settings and their settings they want to transfer over.
0: Right. No, that's exactly what I would say as well. All right. uh, The next one. Interesting. I use a different word here, but uh, we'll get to it. It says, if I give a large bolus, the pod seems to leak insulin. How can I stop this from happening? But they're talking about, I mean, you have diabetes, so this is easy to talk to you about, but they're talking about tunneling, right? You know what that is? Yeah, right. So, Mm -hmm. okay. So you go ahead and tell them what's happening.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure. We can partner here, no problem. So yeah, you're absolutely right. When they're talking about leaking, uh, it's generally from the site uh, is what they're talking about, not for example like the pot itself is leaking fluid out. Right. Um, and and what we mean by this, and and you know, I'll say before I even talk about it, I think it's important to note site um, finding sites that work well is not always you know the easiest thing, depending on how long you've had diabetes or how many insulin pumps you've worn or how many sites you've used. So I'll say you know this is something that can just take trial and error to find a site. That really works well sometimes, mm-hmm. um, and some sites just work really well, and others maybe don't. So with this one in particular, you know what we're finding here is when you put a pod on, there's a couple of things you want to keep in mind. You know, one, you want to make sure you place the pod in an area that has you know enough subcutaneous tissue, and if you happen to have more muscle tissue, then making sure the cannula itself in the pod actually inserts into more of the subcutaneous tissue. So that's that more like fat layer. And so, why we're doing this is to avoid that cannula, you know, inserting into muscle, because then what can happen is when you have that pod on, um, it can really cause what we call this tunneling, um, where again, then you've got this cannula that's not staying in the subcutaneous tissue, but it's kind of moving in and out um, and creates this tunnel really where insulin can flow back out of. Um, And so, to help support that, you know, we talk about. Pinching the skin up to make sure the cannula really does insert into that subcutaneous tissue. Then we also want to make sure that cannula stays stable. Um, And there's a couple of things that people can do to help ensure that. You know, when we talk about this on the phone, this is something my team absolutely deals with on a regular basis, you know, and helping people find, not just leaking, but helping people find sites that work well. Um, And some of the things, you know, we talk about is even pod positioning. So, you know, we think about the way our body is designed like we all have curves of some sort on our bodies and so positioning the pod so it really lays flat and doesn't go around the edge of your body um, will help ensure that that cannula doesn't keep pulling in and out with your body's movement and creating again that tunnel space
0: Mm -hmm. no no i've uh well, so base. I, I kind of want to paint a picture for people. So you are putting a, a bolus of liquid under your skin, and if there is an easy pathway back out, the the liquid will follow that. And now, mm-hmm. and then you like, oh, it's leaking because it, it seems wet around the thing. So that that's the positioning part of it, right? Like if that cannula is rocking around in there, making a loose. A loose fit basically it allows that liquid to move backwards, and the larger boluses can not absorb as quickly, so they kind of sit in there as a pool. Um, I mean that's obvious, and, and I've I tell people all the time like it, look for a flatter surface, like a place where it's not going to rock, you know, like where you're not you don't you know what I mean? Like it, it's yeah you don't want to put the pot on top of a hill and expect it to like right. hold on. You want to have a nice flat flat surface um, that and. Um, the pinching up. I mean, anybody who ever says to me, specifically about Omnipod, I'm not, the first thing I say is, did you pinch up when you put it on? Always do that. But it's a thing I've been saying for so long and doing for so long. I don't know if I just always, I just assume like, oh, everyone knows that already. But mm-hmm. obviously everyone doesn't know that. So like, just kind of collect up a little bit of that top layer of skin around the cannula as you're injecting the, the cannula in for the auto injector. That's what you mean when you say pinch up, right?
1: You got it. Yeah. yeah. You painted a great picture. Okay. Exactly right. Um, yeah. yeah. I think it's such an important step that, you know, when we train, when we do training initially, there's so much to remember. And sometimes, you know, we help somebody put the first pot on and you can forget some of these steps that are really important. Yeah. And pinching up is definitely one of those.
0: I think two people can just get like, it becomes such a part of your life that mm-hmm. you don't think, oh yeah, I, 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 I played tackle football this week and now I don't seem like my my boluses don't seem to be working right because that thing's being like yanked all over the place. It's this tiny little plastic tube that's just under your skin slightly and you're yanking it all over the place then going like, I can't believe it didn't work. So (laughs) and (laughs) and also, you know, that's why you hear a lot of people who do activities like um, hard hitting activities where they think the pod might get bumped. They'll do a sports rap while they're playing. But I guess also even an overpatch or something like that, if you think there's going to be a lot of like vigor, you could do that as well. A simple example is that when my daughter used to play softball, she wouldn't put the pod on her throwing arm. And Mm -hmm. because she'd throw and then she said, I could feel it kind of pull around a little bit. And so we purposely kept it off that arm that was getting a lot of action. So I guess like that would work too. Like Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think to your point, um, you know, exactly like I said in the beginning is everyone, you know, sometimes it's trial and error. You just have to find, you know, yeah. what works for you. But some of these steps are really important to help support that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your point, you talked about, you know, over, you know, some of these wraps or, um, you know, the, the over tapes or, or things like that. Um, also, sometimes talking with your doctors about what you can do to secure the pod underneath it. So we do have, you know, different adhesive aids. So things that you can actually put on the skin to help make the adhesive adhere better if somebody struggles with that piece Um, and ensuring that 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 pod really stays in place again to avoid that cannula moving. It's really important.
0: You know what, I want to keep going with this topic for a second, Lindsay, and just it's come up in another episode in this series, but I think it's worth covering again that, um, you know, sometimes people just feel like they need overlay patches for the devices. And um, I was wondering like how that all works, like how do they learn about them? Where do they get them? You know, why are they valuable?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I can say Insulet does have what we call pod pals. It uses the same adhesive as our pod adhesive. So um, just so people are aware of that. But I will say for Omnipod 5, um, you may have seen these if you opened your starter kit and you're wearing Omnipod 5. Did, we are providing these overlay patches in the Omnipod 5 starter kits. Uh, if you've never used them before, or you're interested in them. Um, there's also a website, Sugar Medical, um, our company, Sugar Medical, that you can uh, look for Pod Pals on there as well. And really, what an overlay patch is going to do is um, enhance the support. So um, it's an added layer over the adhesive that helps to secure that adhesive and pod in place. Of course, you know, there are other options as well. So people do work with their, you know, own educators or healthcare providers to find the right overlay patches that work. You had referenced a couple of other things like the wraps. Um, so there are lots of things out there, um, thankfully, to the diabetes community for, you know, always wanting to ensure they can get the best utilization out of their devices. So there's lots of options Um but yeah, the benefit really would be to help continue to secure or further secure the adhesive um, of the pod itself.
0: Okay. So prepping the site, you know, making sure this the skin is clean when it goes on free of oil, hair, those kinds of things are important.
1: Yeah. So in talking about adhesive in general, um, which I think is what you're getting at, you know, there's some important things to just help secure the pod in place. In itself, so um, to your point, you mentioned, you know, making sure the skin is free of oils and lotions, um, you know, really prepping that site. And so, a lot of the things we talk about, especially when when people call in and, and ask for support around adhesive, is how are they preparing their sites? And so you know, cleaning the skin. And, you know, if you think about, even I think about this with Band-Aids that I've put on, you know, if I've got lotion on my hand, that Band-Aid does not stick that well. Um, And so making sure your skin is, you know, free of those things. And even things like body hair, you know, you think about putting tape or something on a a part of your skin that has a lot of body hair, Mm -hmm. it's not going to stick as well. So preparing that skin and possibly, you know, shaving some of the excess body hair in that area um, if necessary. So yeah, skin prep is important. Not only does it help the adhesive stick, it's going to help that pod overlay as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, even dry skin, right? Like if you have dry flaking skin, then it sticks to the adhesive. Now the adhesive is not sticking to you. It's sticking to the dry skin. Yeah. So Yep. I I listen it's a, it's <laughs> it's one of those things that you just never would bother to consider right like oh I pull a thing off and it sticks to me but you know there's a lot more to think about than just that so when you really apply common sense to it you think oh that all makes sense I should probably pay attention to that uh okay I appreciate you going over that again thank you
1: Yeah absolutely
0: I think this might be our last question so Omnipod 5 kicks me out of automated mode and puts me into automated mode limited all the time. (laughs) Is that the same as man? I laughed at the all the time part (laughs) because I imagine it's not all the time. But um, is that the same as manual mode? So is automated limited the same as manual?
1: Yeah, so in short answer... The answer is no. Um, Automated mode is automated mode limited is not the same thing as manual mode. Um, Automated mode limited is a, it's still part of automated mode. Uh, It's a more conservative mode, if you will, um, where the system is potentially using manual mode, I'm sorry, uh, manual mode basal rates. However, it is not fully in manual mode. And basically, what I mean by that is, um, again, when we think about the system being in more of a conservative um, mode, what it's doing is looking at uh, between the adaptive basal rate and your manual mode basal rates, which one is the lower value in that five minute increment. And then it's choosing that um, to safely deliver the right amount of insulin to you. So it's not fully automating as it does in automated mode, but it's also not transitioning fully into manual mode. So it is that in-between um, as part of an automo- automated mode system.
0: What are the reasons that that would happen? I'm assuming if it can't get CGM data makes one bit of sense, but are there other reasons?
1: Yeah. So when people say kick me out, um, that's always a, such an interesting term. Um, but yeah, so you mentioned CGM. So um, in order to use full automation, so to be in automated mode fully, the system does require CGM values. So if at any point there, the system is not receiving CGM values, um, then the system after 20 minutes will move you over into automated mode limited. Okay. So, and yeah, then and it's so more CGM is one- I'm sorry, talked yeah, yeah. I'm sorry I talked over you. I apologize.
0: Nope. No, finish your thought. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: i <laughs> say, okay, so in answer to your question, CGM is one piece. There's also something called automated delivery restriction, um, which is another uh, feature or alert within the system to notify somebody if they've been getting too little or max delivery for an extended period of time. If you, you do have to go over to manual mode for that, but if you haven't responded to the alert Quickly enough, That will move you over to automated mode limited as well. So you okay. may see yourself in that if you've received an automated delivery restriction, which we do sort of hear people use that as the kick me out, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another reason that you might get moved over. But definitely to your point, CGM is the most common reason for somebody to transition over to that automated mode limited.
0: The first person to ever say kicked me out definitely didn't have a marketing job. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't weren't like, let me think of the nicest way to say this. So um, automated mode, everything's going great. I have a problem with the signal maybe. I get put into limited. Limited is just more conservative because it doesn't want to make big, like drastic decisions while it doesn't have Mm -hmm. access to the data.
1: Exactly, yep. It's operating, you know, in, in this automated mode limited to your point to be safe. It doesn't have those trending CGM values to know how it should be automating every five minutes then. So right. it is doing this from a safety perspective. Um, and I think, I, I don't know if you, you know, if you talked about this any further previously, but, um, you know, things like uh, even that CGM warmup period, Um, where, of course, there's no CGM values for those two hours, um, you know, using the Dexcom G6, then, you know, in that case, it'll put you into automated mode limited. Um, You know, if there's any reason that the pod and you know, CGM aren't communicating um, for a period of time, some sort of, again, interference, maybe it's the placement of the two of them. uh, In that case, you would be in automated mode limited. So to your point exactly, missing CGM Values is going to move you over to automated mode limited after a period of time.
0: Two things: if this is happening constantly, then you might want to look at line of sight between your devices, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, absolutely. Yeah, because it's not it's not a thing that you expect to happen. Like you, I mean, you as a person who works at Insulate and Omnipod, like it's not a thing. You're not like, oh, this happens all the time. Like, right? Like, there's something going on that's stopping that that connectivity. And and I think it might also be important to bring up. That even in automated l- mode limited, you are still experiencing the safety features and the automation. It's just not as aggressive with the settings.
1: Exactly. Is that right? Um, yes. Okay. Yep. So um, I mean, the one thing that I think that's important to note is because you're not in full automation, um, you know, the system isn't obviously gonna know if your glucose value is dropping and then proactively pause insulin delivery. Instead, what it's doing is you know, again, using that lower level of basal between the manual programmed basal rates and the adaptive basal rate to make sure it's always choosing that safer, lower amount.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, as a person who's like, my child's been using automated for a long time and that's just such an obvious thing to me. But if it's a thing that you're new to, I could see you being confused by that or wondering like what happens in that situation. But it is, uh, it's just, it's how it works. So, um, and it works really well. Like incredibly well, I I I will say that that is one of the the things that I hear newer people like they they bring up is like a reason why they're like oh I, I don't know if I want to be in an automated situation because what if the data is gone and how does it know and it's funny I I, I wonder if you have an answer to that question because my answer to the question I don't think is satisfying. Other than I usually say, it all just works out. I don't know how to tell you. <laughs> like, like it's been doing it for years. It's all great. Uh, but what? how do you answer that specific question?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, the way our systems have innovated over time has really honestly been incredible to watch. And, and with this in particular, I think, you know, the system is not just using a moment in time, um, you know, to determine. I mean, of course, from an automation perspective, CGM values, but... When we look at something like automated mode limited and adaptive basal rates, you know, the system is using historic information. So it's it's really starting to see how much insulin somebody needs and, you know, then being able to automate or even in these automated mode limited, you know, you're still with that adaptive basal rate. That adaptive basal rate is using the user's history mm-hmm. um, and really understanding what their insulin needs are. And I think in that case, it is really safely you know figuring out what somebody's insulin needs are and you know again comparing that to see just what's going to be the safer amount so i think you know it, it's hard for sure as even a user myself um I know when I first went on an automated insulin delivery system to say, I'm going to trust something to take the reins for me and not need to have full control over it is not an easy thing to do. Um, But I will say, you know, I think with the way, again, systems have innovated over time and the way that the systems are really using um, a lot of the user's history uh, really helps inform it to do the safest thing for you.
0: So I appreciate answering that. Thank you. It's uh, I've just I struggle with. I don't have a a technical answer to that question. I only have like a, a, a user's answer, which is, I don't know, mm. always just sort of works out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. but, uh, but it, it's nice to hear you put it in more, uh, more technical terms. So thank you.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I'll say even too, it's, you know, whenever I've again, spoken to any of these engineers, I mean, it, my head probably spins a little bit when, you know, I mean, obviously I don't know all of the algorithm you know, specifics and the proprietary information. But, you know, there's so much that goes into developing these systems um, and really ensuring safety as a priority. And especially that with, you know, the way the system is designed um, to keep people safe and obviously, you know, live life Yeah, right. <laughs> simpler with diabetes.
0: Lindsay, I have uh, we have a little time here, but we're finished. Can I ask you another question? Sure. Like, I don't know if you're up for this or not, but um,
1: well, let's see.
0: <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, I guess I could ask you something like just say, no, I'm not answering that. But I don't imagine it's going to go that way. Um, you know, I eat crackers, but I've never thought to work at a cracker company. Uh, but but you you have diabetes for a very long time and you found your way into this as a profession. And I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about how that happened and and, and just a little more about how maybe that fulfills you.
1: Yeah, I love that question, actually. So thank you for asking. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think when I was first diagnosed with diabetes, um, honestly, my reaction, I was young anyway. So at that point, I don't even know what I was thinking of becoming when I was nine years old. But, you know, as I got older, the more time I spent, um, living with diabetes and, you know, just some of the challenges, you know, I faced and, um, really thinking about, how much I'd love to be more connected to the diabetes community and, um, you know, then going to school, um, you know, for nutrition. So that's my background as I'm a registered dietitian and, you know, just learning more about um, myself living with diabetes and living with celiac disease. You know, I really started to think I'd love to work with more people and really help people feel like diabetes does maybe not have to be such the heavy burden that it can feel like it is or how you can you know live with diabetes and live a a a life that you can engage in you know activities and things that other people do i think for me it just became something that i felt like i really want to work with others with diabetes and share experiences and really help others you know live really successfully that way so um i decided you know i was in school and um you know decided to see what I could do to find you know jobs in the diabetes space and um I ended up at up at the Joslin Diabetes Center in Boston um and yeah it was such a great opportunity to to really start um my diabetes you know professional journey there and uh then move on to the technology space uh, just cuz I really love insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitors so to move into that space as well but yeah, it's something that I think just evolved for me over time that I just felt a passion of working with others um, who live with diabetes and, you know, doing what I can for my own, you know, professional education and personal experience to help other people. So.
0: I I find it uh, personally fulfilling to see someone about to go through a tough time that you've lived through and for you to kind of like pick them up and like move them over top of it. Maybe it's the digital version of, like, putting your cape over a puddle. I don't know exactly, mm-hmm. but, like, that right. idea of, like, oh, that. I'm going to save them this horror that they don't... Mm-hmm. They they won't need to go through this because I already did it and I know the answer already. So, like, all I have to do is tell them and then they don't have to go through it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I find that to be really um, kind of lovely and uh, brings a lot to my life. So I just thought that was interesting because the the one thing that, that everyone in this series has in common, like this Ask the Expert series... Each one of you has type one, uh, mm-hmm. and, and not not difficult to reach back into insulin and say, "Hey, we need somebody who, who can speak thoughtfully on this topic, who also has diabetes." And there's just there you are. Do you? So I know that everybody's remote nowadays and everything, but when you get together with everybody you work with, are you're like, does it feel like a club?
1: <laughs> That's such a good question. I know I wish we could do it more often, to be honest. But um, but yeah, I, I think so. You know, it it just it's such a positive environment to be in, to work with people. I think anytime you're doing something that you get to help other people, um, it just creates yeah really uplifting, positive, fun environment. Um, Mm. Or at least we make it that way. I'll just put it that way. (laughs) But but yeah, for sure. It's great to be together, um, especially with my team. Uh, I don't get to see them in person often, again, because we're all virtual. But when we do get together, it's just, yeah, celebrating all of the amazing, you know, things that we get to do and the people we get to help every day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wish I'm going to try to find out maybe how many people at at Insulet have type one, Uh, because, I mean, now that I stop and think about it, like the person I interact with, you know, as part of, you know, how I don't know how to put this, like people don't. I don't know what people understand about how podcasts work and stuff like that. But, you know, uh, there are people at Insulate that buy ads for me and that we have those conversations and my direct contact has type one and you and then Melissa was here and Eric and I'm like, geez, like it seems like maybe it's everybody. I know it's not, but like that's really cool the way because I mean, I think you could say, sure, I imagine the company is open to people with type one filling positions. But I think the story is more about how people with type one are drawn to the work like mm-hmm. that to me seems like the the, the real story here y- you know like like how because i interview people all the time and they'll talk about oh, i was diagnosed at a young age and i had this endo and the endo was really great and that's why i'm a nurse practitioner or that's why i became a cde or something like that or i want to be an endocrinologist because of the impact someone else had on me um and, and it just seems like this is another avenue for people with diabetes to help other people with diabetes. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's really, yeah, absolutely. really
1: something. Yeah, yeah whether it's you live with type one or obviously there's a lot of people we work with who have family members or someone close to them or someone they know who has diabetes. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think exactly to your point, you know, finding a space that you can work to continue to make a difference in an area that you're, you know, familiar with mm-hmm. in one way or another, if it's personal or, you know, Uh, Just just your people, you know, uh, living with
0: diabetes. I've I've in the past done speaking work where you you go to companies and it's like their private speaking events are just for the people who work there. And when you when they bring you in, they're like, look, we just need them to understand what diabetes is about, because to them, they're just making a widget. You know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't see the whole, like, what does this do for someone? Like, why is it important to them? How come it needs to work? How come it needs to be comfortable and safe? And they don't know that they're just, they're making an item. So I love the idea of bringing more and more people in who have type one already. You don't need to explain that part to them. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a big deal. We kind of briefly went over it before that you've been on other systems before and tube pumps and other automated insulin delivery systems, if I'm not mistaken, I was wondering what the experience has been like using Omnipod 5 uh, since you have experience with others.
1: Great question. Happy to answer that. Um, So, you know, since being on Omnipod 5, some of the things I think I never expected of being on a tubeless pump um, was really things like not disconnecting for showers or swimming. Um, I think I probably underestimated how challenging that was sometimes honestly i would disconnect for shower and then an hour later when i was getting ready realizing i forgot to reconnect so that's something that i honestly have absolutely loved about the system is not having to disconnect um also omnipod 5 specifically um i have found the automated insulin delivery system has worked really really well for me Mm -hmm. um Shockingly, when I first started, I couldn't believe how many 100% time and range days I had um, without a lot of effort. So I have found uh, it's it's really great at protecting me from hypoglycemia, okay. which is something that I had experienced um, a little more frequently on other automated insulin delivery systems. So, yeah, you, I feel like it's worked really well.
0: You have fewer lows on Omnipod 5 than you had in the past?
1: Oh, yeah, I do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And- I use a lot less a lot fewer glucose tablets and skittles and all that other stuff but um but yeah i i find i've treated far fewer lows
0: have you lost weight i know this is so personal Uh. like this isn't why you came on (laughs) but a lot of people talk about like a lot of the low snacks they use they don't realize how many calories are in them and, and things like that too
1: yeah I wish I could say yes. Um.
0: (laughs) I was just wondering. Yeah, you're like yeah. Probably some
1: other things influencing, but you know, maybe
0: right. No, but seriously, like it's just not being interactive with it. Like not having to take a glucose tablet or look at a or deal with a low, or or even like, I mean, I can't completely speak to this obviously because I don't have diabetes and my daughter's always used an Omnipod. But I mean like see, like my daughter's 19. She's used one since she was 4. Like we went from needles to Omnipod in like 2000 and 2008 maybe and she's been wearing an Omnipod every day since then. So I don't know about that, but it as I stop to think about it like that oh I'm going to jump in the shower but uh I got to unhook this and turn this off or maybe make a bolus cuz I know I'm going to have this off for a while and then forgetting when you jump out and just want to towel off and keep going. And then, you know, an hour later realizing, oh my God, my blood sugar's jumping up. And it just, it's a lot of time and and touching Mm -hmm. that I think you avoid. Is that about right?
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I would agree with that. And I think to that point, um, even talking about engaging with the system, um, you know, I find that I will go, aside from eating, of course, bullising for eating, but if I'm not eating, you know, for periods of time that I realize, oh, I haven't even like checked where my glucose is because nothing's been alerting me to say I'm too high or too low. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the other thing too is, you know, aside from my Dexcom that alerts me, I'm not getting additional, lots of alerts coming from both systems, mm-hmm. which has actually been really nice. So if nothing's alerting me, then I'm assuming all is working well. Um, and a lot of times it's, yeah, hours before I realize, oh, I haven't even checked where I'm at.
0: That's a... um. A learned skill that people don't have right away with that idea of like, I'll just set the alerts at a reasonable space. And if I don't hear from them, I don't think about it. Yeah. Uh how about sleeping? Any improvements with that?
1: Actually, yeah, I, I I would say so. Um, because I really do find that I'm staying in range when I'm sleeping. Um, that I get, you know, again, far fewer alerts, not that hypoglycemia. Um, and really this less worry uh, during the nighttime that I, I sleep really well.
0: That that leads to that unbroken sleep. It's very important. We don't yes. talk about it enough, but the waking up and going back to sleep is it's hard on you, especially over time, by the way, whether you have diabetes or you're the parent of someone with diabetes, it's um, it, it sneaks up on you. You don't know how impactful it yeah. is until kind of it's too late sometimes. But uh, and then you're yeah. just like ravaged and. Look terrible, and you're like, "God, I'm exhausted." Um, no, that's great. I, <laughs> you know, no
1: one wants to no one wants to talk to us too much if we haven't slept that well, right?
0: No, no, I I swear to you, I I said this before, but I I always thought I was like, like you talk yourself into believing, like I don't need all that sleep because you don't have any other <laughs> options. So it's the thing you tell yourself, but it's not true. You definitely need to sleep, especially as you get older. You know, it's uh more and more important. So uh, all right, I I appreciate you you sharing that. It's just a unique um. You have a unique uh, perspective. So uh, I thought it was worth asking about.
1: Yeah. Again, thanks for asking. I was happy to share.
0: Thank you again for being on the show. I'll I'll say goodbye to you a second time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Thank you.
0: Well, if you're listening in order, now you've heard Eric Davenport, the clinical services manager and Lindsay Friedman, senior manager, clinical product support. Now you're probably thinking, Scott, can it get any better than this? I don't know if it's going to get better. But it's going to get really interesting with Melissa Lee, Senior Manager, Instructional Design. That's right. Melissa not only has type 1 diabetes, just like Lindsay and Eric, but she wrote the user guide for Omnipod 5. And we're going to talk about the questions she gets about the algorithm. This is the stuff like, you know, where you guys are wondering like, well, what if I turn this or I do that? What's going to happen? Will this impact automated mode? All that gets covered with Melissa Lee in episode three of Ask the Experts series, Omnipod 5. If you're interested in getting started with Omnipod, use my link, omnipod.com juicebox. And if you're a current or future Omnipod 5 user, you will not want to miss my Omnipod 5 Pro Tip series. It's a three-part series that goes through overview of the system, settings, and connectivity. Those are at episode 736, 737, and 738. They're also available at juiceboxpodcast.com slash Omnipod5. If you're enjoying this content, be sure to follow and subscribe the podcast in your audio app. We talk about Omnipod and Omnipod5 all the time. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.